I'm Bob Main. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Welcome to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. And welcome to episode number 578. This is January 9th, 2022, and this is a practical show done by a practical guy. So this week I have a great interview coming up for you. I just want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Concealment Solutions. I own six Concealment Solutions holsters. I own three of the mag holders that they sell. I have two concealed uh, concealment solutions belts. I really like their stuff. If you need a good holster outside the waistband, inside the waistband, Kydex, hybrid holster, check them out. Concealmentsolutions.com. Concealmentsolutions.com. And you get a 10% discount just by using the discount code HandgunWorld at checkout. One word, HandgunWorld. So I had a chance to interview Mike Oxner, also known as Mike Ox, on real-world gunfight training. And Mike's kind of got a really good system that kind of short-circuits a lot of what is being taught today. And when I say short-circuit, I mean just speed things up, help you learn it faster, help you learn it faster and be able to improve quicker. And it's kind of a pretty... Pretty cool, scientific, innovative training system. And he's going to talk about that. He's going to join me very soon to talk about real-world gunfight training and also dry-fire training cards. Yeah, dry-fire training cards. Kind of a cool system. And I had a chance to look both of these over before I decided to bring Mike on the show. And I thank him very much. You're going you're gonna to enjoy this coming up shortly. I also want to mention that I had a pretty good outing yesterday at a competition match, American Action Shooting Association, shooting my Shadow Systems, MR920. Uh, next time I go out and compete, I'm, I'll be shooting the DR920, the Shadow Systems DR920. As I mentioned in uh, the last episode, or it was actually two episodes ago, I believe, uh, early in the year uh, that, that first came out, that my yearly goal, my, my, my new goal for 2022, my new SMART goal for 2022, is to spend a year with two Shadow Systems guns. I think after spending a year with the MR920 and also with the DR920, I should be able to really make an informed decision on whether these guns are top-notch, whether they're not, whether I should keep them or whether I should not. I think I know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to let you know every step of the way. The MR920 is a fantastic pistol, but when it comes to competition shooting and things like that, it's not as easy to shoot as the DR920, and that makes sense. You know, it's a Glock 19 versus a Glock 17. Now, I used to be able to shoot the Glock 19 as well as I could a 17 or a 34. Now my skill level has kind of gotten to the point where I, I am getting some benefit out of the larger gun. I'm getting some better, you know, benefit from the sight radius because I'm still shooting iron sights. I am going to put optics on these probably mid-year, probably June or July. I'm going to put optics on both of them, but I want to I want to shoot them both a lot for the next six months without optics and you're going to hear Mike Ox and myself talk about optics and then I want to give it about a six-month test with optics on both of these guns the DR920 and the MR920 but I do get a benefit from shooting the larger guns it used to be that my shooting you know was not quite good enough to really notice the difference between a shooting a Glock 19 and a Glock 17 and a Glock 34 I seem to perform the same with all of them. Matter of fact, sometimes I performed a little bit better with my Glock 19 just because I shot it 
so much. But this DR920 Elite, both of mine are the Shadow Systems Elite versions. This thing is just really awesome. It is just a, a terrific, terrific firearm. You know, I had a guy being kind of sarcastic with me at the at the range you know, he was like, he was saying, why would anybody want to pay $950 for a Glock? Well, that's kind of ignorant to say. I really believe that is. Because these shadow systems are not Glocks. They look like Glocks. They are built similar to a Glock, but there's so much more. There's so many benefits on the shadow systems guns that Glocks don't have. And... To, so to say something ignorant like why would someone pay $950 for a Glock is is just plain dumb. Uh, I have a Glock that I have more than $950 invested into it. I have a third gen Glock 19 and I've probably made another $350 worth of upgrades. Maybe even more. You know, so probably I've got, yeah, I would say it's probably about $950 invested in that Glock uh, Gen 3, 19, and it's n the same, it's actually less gun than the Shadow Systems pistols that I have. So, again, I really believe, and, and folks, I really want you to know, I am not sponsored by Shadow Systems. I've only talked to them twice when I had questions about their guns. I called up their customer service and their tech services, and it was great. It was fantastic. So I'm not sponsored by them. I wasn't given these guns. I bought them with my hard-earned money. I just like them. And when I do reviews, I bring to you reviews on products that I have gone out and paid for and use. I don't give you a, a review on a gun that was sent to me and donated to me for testing and evaluation. Or that was at least sent to me for T&E. Right? And... That's not what I do. I, I have stuff invested. I have money invested and time invested in the products. That, and that's one of the reasons why I think that you get so much benefit. Because you hear an everyday guy like me. You hear a real world ordinary guy that's not an industry insider like me. Get a product. Use it. And tell you about it. So anyway, that's a little bit about the beginning of my one year experiment. If you want to send a comment after you hear this interview, you can email it, handgunworld at gmail.com. You can call into the show and leave a voicemail, 210-646-1727. Check out the books that Mike has written. Check out his websites. I will put a link in the show notes for both of his websites. One of them is realworldgunfighttraining.com and the other is dryfiretrainingcards.com. Here we go. Mike Ox joins me. Hello, everyone. My special guest coming to us from Idaho, Mike Ox. Mike, welcome to the Handgun World Podcast. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. I saw you on social media. I looked it up. I love. I really like your one of your websites called uh, Real World Gunfight Training. Well, thank you. Yeah, when I uh, saw that, when I saw that, I'm a big real world guy. I'm, I, you know, I like to think about common sense, real world stuff, not, you know, not pie in the sky stuff and all that. So that attracted me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Good deal. Yeah, I, it. Um, there's a lot of things that we do in training that that are done in a way that stacks the odds against the training carrying over to the real world. And a, a big part of the goal is to uh, figure out how we can change our training so that we can do less training and get have more of it carry over to the real world. I'm all about that. I'm a big training person. I, you know, I, I think a lot of my listeners, thousands of them now, they have kind of been sick of me talking about training over the years, but I don't care because I think the training is three times more important than these tools that we use. Yep. And the gun is only the tool. So um, tell us, do a two or three minute, minute introduction of who is Mike Ox and what is your training company all about? Well, uh, it has been an interesting progression. Uh, pretty much everything that I'm doing today 
is the result of trying to figure out how to get around some adversity I was facing. Um, And in the uh, in 2008, when the market collapsed, I was a real estate investor and very quickly found myself in a position where I had to choose between shooting and eating and eating (laughs) one. And is that amazing? (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, I knew I needed to keep training. Yeah. And I had some unique backgrounds uh, in fighting, getting to train with um, Olympic coaches and uh, being part of a really cool biofeedback uh, study with the Mayo Clinic when I was a kid. And I kind of combined all of that together with uh, dry fire and airsoft, which I looked at as dry fire on steroids and mental imagery and figured out a a smarter way to train and what i found was in the next few weeks i improved more than i had in the last few years i am interested in that yeah so that that kind of started everything and wrote a series of articles uh they took off that ended up becoming a book uh people wanted um just set drills to do so i got together with other instructors and created dry fire training cards and then a few years later, uh, I'd had I've done all sorts of fun stuff and had lots of concussions in the process. <laughs> and they started catching up with me. And I was having uh, problems with balance, problems with vision, problems with hand-eye coordination. And it was, it was really becoming a problem. And so I did a deep dive into neurology to figure out how to get my balance and vision and hand-eye coordination back. And in the process of doing that, I found out that the drills that I was doing to get back to normal, when I used them with other shooters, I saw immediate gains in performance and gains that would normally take days of um, uh, full day training to get. And I could get them in three to five minutes. Well, the listeners are going to be excited to hear about this. So I made some notes. And one of the things, I I want to start with some questions. You know, you talk about in your book that most gunfighting, I mean, most training, most training kind of causes shooters to lose some benefits. What do you mean by that? Well, one of the big things is that uh, when we go to training, and just think of a typical Uh, training class. Uh, You go and you train for a few hours at a time, maybe all day, maybe two, three, five days. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is you're loading up everything that you're doing into short-term memory. And then you're performing out of short-term memory like a trained monkey. And the problem is there's only a very small amount that gets transferred from short-term memory into long-term procedural memory each night. And long-term procedural memory is where we store skills. And specifically skills that we want to perform under stress when we don't have time to think through the individual steps. So it's really, really critical that we get this right because if we go through eight hours of training and only 15 minutes of it gets consolidated into long-term memory overnight uh we're, we're losing a lot and you only you, all you have is the 15 minutes that got put into short term right right and but it's it's actually there's another layer to it and that is that at the end of most classes there's usually either a a test or some type of scored shoot to to show everyone how much they improved the problem is when people shoot those courses of fire, they're doing it out of their short-term memory. They're warmed up. Uh, everything's tuned up because they've been working and refining all day. And it is a best case scenario. And people baseline that in their mind and they think that that's how good they are. And in oh, reality, man. no, no. In reality, people are as good as they are when they're cold, when they're not warmed up and when they're surprised. Isn't that the truth? And, I mean, it's, it seems like maybe we're only like a fourth as good as after we're warmed up. That's what I've, yeah, my, I, my experience I, has been like that. 
Yeah, it's very, very common. And so um, what one of the things I've, I'm working on is trying to help instructors have uh, processes to be able to transfer more of their teaching to the student's long-term memory. And a couple of ways, a couple of easy ways that you can do this. Uh, well, you know what, let me just say this from the, from the student's perspective, how a student can go to an instructor who's doing a traditional class and how they can get way more benefit out of it. And one of the things that you'd want to do is in the weeks leading up to the class, uh, you'd read everything that you could by the instructor and you'd watch videos that they had posted. And in the process, you would learn the vocabulary that they use and you'd, you, you'd learn the concepts that they're going to talk about. And the reason why that's important is if you go to live training cold and you're simultaneously trying to learn vocabulary and you're trying to learn concepts that are based on that vocabulary that you just learned and you're trying to learn skills that are based on those concepts and that vocabulary, the majority of the day is lost. That sounds like a lot of information like a, overload. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. In an ideal situation, there would be almost no new information that the student gets in the live training. They would have been exposed to it all ahead of time. That's interesting. And you just mentioned something a few minutes ago I want to key in on. Um, it seems to me like when I was reading about you and about your training, you're not a big fan of shot timers. Well, there's uh, yes and no. Uh, okay. I did private coaching this morning and used a shot timer for it. The, okay. But you're absolutely right. The The issue that I've, I've got with shot timers is that, um, all right, they're, they're telling us that we're going to respond to an audible input and shoot something. And it normally goes something like, all right, shooter ready, stand by, right. and then the beep. Yeah. Yeah. And you're primed to shoot. It's like uh, being at a racetrack and waiting for the green light. There's no, <laughs> there's no decision making involved. And so there's a couple of different um, angles on this. Number one is uh, the real world is going to throw us visual situations that tell us, hey, you know what? You don't need to shoot yet. Hey, you need to shoot right now. Hey, you don't need to shoot anymore. Hey, wait, you need to shoot again. Hey, wait, it's all over. You mean the bad guy and is not going to say, shoot already. Stand by. Exactly. Beep. <laughs> really funny video that a couple of guys have done uh, where uh, they hand the bad guy a shot timer. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the real world doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't work like that. You're right. And, and the big thing is there's no uh, decision making based on changing visual input. Uh, for the most part, targets are marked as either shoot or no shoot targets at the beginning of a stage, and we can plot and plan things out. And just adding something as simple as red light, green light, and not knowing that at the first flash we're going to draw and shoot, it may be a no shoot that flashes. Uh, that adds significant lag uh, when you add that into training. And in a very, very short period of time, and I'm talking five to 10 reps, sometimes 15 or 20, that lag almost goes away. So, uh, you're, just a, so you're saying the, real, the reality is, the real world is, we find ourselves in a shoot, don't shoot, wait, shoot, don't shoot, wait situation a lot. Yeah, and it's based on visual input, not on auditory input. Oh, uh, okay. So... You may also mention dry fire because that's one of your one of your websites. It's dryfiretrainingcards.com. Yes. Yep. And for all the people listening or watching, I'll put this in the show notes. Real realworldgunfighttraining.com and um, dryfiretrainingcards.com. Why is it that you say that you don't think it's a good idea? for people to use snap caps or lasers when they dry fire, because I hear that all the time. Yeah. Uh, I get a lot of flack about this and I bet you do. Yeah. 
I used to use snap caps a ton. I probably got, uh, I've got more than a hundred from ones that I bought to use with students, ones that I bought for myself, et cetera. And so here's the thing. And it goes back to a conversation I had with a, uh, retired team through seal named Larry Yatch about eight years ago. And he asked me, he said, um, do you think that dry fire transfers over to live fire? And I said, yeah, of course. That's why I do it. I said, okay. When you dry fire, do you rack your slide between reps? And I said, no, of course not. Or I'm sorry, I, I said, yes, I do. Yes, and you do. Said, me too. Yeah. Uh, do you rack the slide between reps in live fire? I said, no, of course not. <laughs> no. I said, okay. So how are you training so that your brain knows to transfer everything that you're doing in dry fire over to live fire except for racking the slide? And it's a question I still don't have an answer to. Uh, well, there are training tools that will run the slide for you. Yes, but you don't use a snap cap with them. Correct. You don't rack the slide between reps. Correct. That's right. And with a uh, double action only uh, pistol, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah. Double you action. Can, uh, yeah, double action. Uh, you... Uh, it's not a problem. You can you can press the trigger over and over and over again, mm-hmm. or on um, uh, Smith and Wessons on a lot of SIGs, the trigger will go back. It won't click each time, but you'll have a full range of motion with the trigger. And with a with a Glock, if you hold the slide out of battery a little bit, you end up with a trigger that articulates the full mm-hmm. full distance. So that's one reason you don't care for the snap caps. Yes. That's, and why that's not the the, why not the lasers? Uh, same reason, because you're racking the slide between reps. Okay, so you think dry fire practice where you have to run the slide between reps is not a great idea? Not a great idea. It it depends. So the way that I'll I'll do it is um, let's see. Yeah. Yeah, we see. So press the trigger. Stop while it's fully extended, rack the slide, get another sight picture, and then make the decision to come off the trigger and come back in. Okay. So not this automatically rack the slide on the way back. And back to the sight picture again. Right. Right. Yeah, because you're right. That's not what's going to happen in real life. Right. And I bet Um, you are a big proponent of as much as possible training for the way it's going to be in real life. Yes, absolutely. Um, with um, not only force on force, but uh, the the cadence of real life, the speed of real life, uh, the balance challenges of real life, angles, etc. This is interesting stuff. So... Way back when, when I first started training, uh, I guess it's going on 16 years now, uh, I will leave the instructor's name out of it, but one of the instructors that I had was really big about stance, and Mm -hmm. he was really big about teaching isosceles and Weaver and Chapman and do this and do that. What do you think about all that stuff? So there's a few reasons for stances, but one of the big reasons for stances is to provide stability and consistency. And if you have time and you have the distance that lets you get into a proper stance, that's awesome. Awesome. That's super. But that might not be likely. Right. And so I look at stances kind of like a uh, crutch or training wheels or a handrail. Uh, they are a great, great tool in the right situation, but it's not an end goal. We want to be able to ride without the training wheels. We want to be able to uh, walk without the crutch, without the handrail. And so what we want to be able to do is shoot at off angles while off balance 
and still be able to make good fast hits. I've taught people how to do that for years, and and I'm sure you're you're probably even better at it than I have. I, I've I've had people moving at a very very rapid pace and making hits on target, mm-hmm. and, and they may have one foot off the ground while they're shooting and making absolutely hits. yeah, you know. Um, it sounds like you're a proponent of that. Yeah, and it's one of those things that. So if you do all of your practice with an ideal stance and a natural point of aim and in sterile conditions, uh, what you end up creating is a very fragile technique. And if there's any deviation from that stance, from that natural point of aim, it's going to introduce a lag and it's going to introduce a drop in accuracy. And we can't afford the lag or the drop in accuracy. No, no, not at all. And so the way that we get around that is we add as much variety as possible in our training so that uh, if we need to make an off-balance, off-angle shot in the real world, it's not new. We, mm-hmm. Our body has been there before. Our brain's been there before. And this is so important. And I'll give you an example. Uh, when we go to draw and if we're just standing still, and we're trying to keep our entire body still and just draw our pistol and present and shoot. The 80 thousandths of a second before our shoulder muscles activate, our hip and thigh muscles activate on the opposite side of the body. 10 to 20 milliseconds before that, the muscles in our feet and our ankles are activating. Hmm. And the reason why these are happening is the brain is is planning out this movement and it's saying, okay, if I move like this, I need to compensate so that I don't fall down and hurt myself. And so it's pre-planning what the opposite foot needs to do to compensate for the movement of the hand. And every angle that you do that is different. And if you have done it in training, the brain knows how to handle that situation. Your brain remembers and, that. Yeah, and the lag goes away. If you're figuring out how to do it for the first time when your life's on the line, uh, again, significant lag, significant drops in accuracy. So what would you say are a couple things that people should do to train for a real-world gunfight without actually having to get into a real-world gunfight? <laughs> You know, one of the easiest things to do is uh, stop doing 10, 20, 30 of the same drill. And I'm just going to stand up real quick. If you think about a compass, uh, compass rows, you got north, you've got, well, I'll try and do it so it's right on your side. North, northeast, east, southeast, south, etc. Uh, instead of doing everything like this, mm-hmm. just start stepping and drawing in each direction. Moving around, yeah. Yeah, so you get around it, you go around the circle. Um, you've got, uh, depending on whether you're leading with your right or left foot, you've got 10 different variations there. So now you've done 10 different drills instead of the same drill 10 times. And you've yeah, you developed a much more resilient technique. Uh, you can add leans, you can add steps, and now all of a sudden, it's going to carry over much, much better to a real-world situation than a a perfect sterile stance. And when the bad thing happens, when the bad day comes, when the stink hits the fan and it goes down, and, and your brain's going to say, oh, I remember this. Yep. I remember being taught this but if you don't practice that stuff your brain says what do i do Mm -hmm. and then it's over yeah (laughs) because you can't think your way through stuff no uh very well yeah and what i worry about is when when people carry a gun and and all of a sudden they have to use it we we know the chances are small but that's why we carry it's what we train for it's what we prepare for and all of a sudden, your mind does not know what to do. Unfortunately, uh, you 
Other people might decide what to do for you, like put you in an ambulance and run you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what we don't want. Or even worse than that, we don't want that. Yeah. So another question. The biggest craze, the biggest thing in shooting today and in carrying are red dots. Or I, I shouldn't call them red dots because there are some that are green now. So let's say optics. What do you think about optics on handguns? It really depends on the situation and the shooter. Um, for close, well, let me put it the other way. For distance, there is a huge advantage with the red dots. For self-defense distances, I am not convinced that there's that much of an advantage for most for most shooters. Um, and I think a lot of the advantages that we're seeing in law enforcement hit ratios have to do with the fact that the officers had to put time in on the red dot in order to make the transition. And that's a great point because you said a key thing. They put the time in. Exactly. And I think if they would have put the same time in on irons, they probably would have gotten very close results. And the, I, I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. If you, if you take a look at USPSA times, Mm-hmm. And you look at um, irons versus optics. The the difference in times it's it's not huge for top end shooters. Really, it's maybe ten percent. So, um, yes, there is an advantage to them. It's not as much of an advantage as with a carbine. With a carbine, huge yeah. advantage. So let's use your figure. Let's say it's ten percent faster for the top level shooters okay so if it's 10 percent le- faster for the top level shooters what does it do to new shooters what do you think a lot of times it makes them slower because i can't find the dot and they don't have a frame of reference to know which way to move the gun to find the dot so should and... they so here's something controversial because i don't think you shy away from controversial stuff should new shooters put the time in with the irons first before transi- transitioning to an optic? I believe absolutely. Okay. Uh, if uh, done correctly, if somebody puts the time in so that their presentation delivers the sights automatically between their dominant eye and the target, and they put a co-witnessed red dot on the gun, they could have somebody blind holster a gun, not knowing whether it has irons or a red dot, draw it and put rounds on target with almost no difference in, in time. I agree with you. That's a good point. That's a good point. Now, I'm assuming you're talking about close distance. Uh, relatively, yeah. I mean, five to ten yards. It's uh, either the dots there or the irons are there. But... Uh, if you're not aiming with the sights or the dot and all you're doing is verifying sight alignment, uh, you're not, you're not having to wobble stuff around. All you're having to do is say, yep, boom. You know, I uh, have, I've taught a lot of people with my, my co-instructor, Ben Branham. We have done a lot of classes and people show up with red dots. People show up with irons. I, you would not believe, oh, you would believe, but a lot of listeners and viewers would not believe how many times people are, and they're saying it loud, I can't find my dot, I can't find my dot. You know, we're trying to get them to speed up the drill. Where's my dot? Where's my dot? And they, they, that's what they're saying. Yeah. I don't, I don't carry optics yet, and I, I'm not going to say I'm a top-level shooter. Um, I'm about a medium-level shooter, and, you know, this is my primary carry gun. It's a Shadow Systems MR920, and it's optics ready, but there's no optic on it because I gave it a shot. I No pun intended. I tried optics for nearly two years. I, I couldn't get better. I couldn't get better. What do you think of that? Yeah, it um, it's an interesting. 
there are people who absolutely love and swear by optics. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them. I just don't think that they're necessarily that big of a game changer for most shooters. Now, we're talking about handguns only. We're not talking about carbine rifles. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole... As a matter of fact, I, I might invite you to come on the show again at a future date and talk about optics on carbine rifles. I just thought of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very different, very different conversation. Well, there's another question that I wanted to get in. However, I want to save that for the next show and the next video we're going to record for all of the people who support my show, all of my Patreon members and all of the Shooters Club members. Uh, it's a really cool topic. But on this, and, and, and let me go ahead and set the stage. I want to ask you about sighted versus unsighted shooting. Uh, okay. I have used the bad words in the past, the bad <laughs> words being point shooting. I've uh-huh. used those bad words that people say, don't say that. Um, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in, uh, I'm going to pretty soon, I'm going to call you back and we're going to do another recording and another video. But before we get to sighted versus unsighted, and I like the way that you put that, uh, in another five or six minutes, leave some thoughts with the listeners and the viewers and also promote your training and your websites. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the the biggest things that that I've been trying to do for the last few years is to uh, help people have ways to not just train harder, but to train smarter so that they can build more skill in less time. Um, and for instructors to be the same instructor, have the same uh, classroom disciplines, teach the same techniques, but uh, have a greater impact on their students. Man, sign me up. Yeah. It's, and so uh, what I've done is um, focused a lot on ways to add real-world context to training. Mm-hmm. Um, not force on force, but to get people so that they're more capable of, um, of learning from a force on force experience. And uh, bridging the gap between sterile range training and um, and real world self defense. So doing that with context, uh, looking at accelerated learning. Uh, a lot of um, firearms training and uh, adult learning best practices are based on learning uh, declarative knowledge, head knowledge, uh, facts, figures, memorization, um, that lists, that kind of stuff. And our brain learns and retains skill differently. And so uh, accelerated learning techniques for remembering the names of everybody in an audience are different than accelerated learning techniques for learning a skill that you want to use at high speed and high precision under stress. And so I'm uh, uh, trying to give students and instructors tools to, to be able to add those to their to their training so that they learn more in less time again. And then the other thing, and this all came from um, the issues I had with concussions, was um, building everything on a foundation of uh, vision, balance, and hand-eye coordination. Mm -hmm. And uh, realizing that those are all skills that can be improved. And when we improve... Yeah, and when we improve them and when we build skills on top of them, uh, we learn more, we learn faster, and it's more fun. And it, it takes less energy. We've got more gas in the tank at the end of training, and it's just it's a net positive for everyone. Well, fun is important, and i got to get a couple questions in here before, yeah. before we conclude this one. Um, is there a specific type of firearm handgun? that you particularly like over others and i'm talking about the three primary categories i love striker fired guns some people like traditional double action single action some like single action only with safeties 
What what are you finding out there, if any, that's more effective than others? <laughs> we live in a golden age. Yeah. And there didn't used to be good as many good options as there are. And my gosh, now you can you can go almost any one of those directions and find something incredible. Yeah. Good um, answer. Good answer. <laughs> I what I carry personally. Yeah. Is um, I carry a Glock 26. I started carrying a Glock 27 in 1999, and switched over to nine millimeter. And I've um, so what is that? Uh, 23 years uh, that I've that I've carried that subcompact frame. You're I, still carrying I, the G26? Yeah, I nice. I really really like the narrower Glocks. I also really like the Sigs, but. I've got so many holsters and magazines and everything else and so much time on that on that gun that I'll probably shoot that for a long time. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with you. Uh, now, I don't advocate one p- pattern over another. I don't advocate one gun system over another. But I do advocate carry what you got the most time. Use yeah. it. What do you have the most time in? What are you the most proficient? Put that in your holster. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And that's what I use for IDPA. That's what I use for USPSA. That's what I use for three gun. Really? And you shoot that little yeah. G26 and IDPA? I shoot it and in, in, USPSA? in all of them. Uh, wow. Yeah, I've, I've done um, 100 yard shots in matches with that little Glock 26. and. Um, it's interesting to hear, Mike, you say this because I just did a show that, that aired last Sunday. And the show was was becoming a one gun man. That was mm-hmm. that was the title of my show, and I spent about half of that episode talking about something that a lot of people disagree with, and that is becoming a one gun man or a one gun woman. And what I meant by that is, I'm not saying only buy one gun, but I'm saying invest most of your time, energy, money, ammo, and resources into one gun that you pick to carry. Yep. And now you just kind of reinforce that for me. I I agree with that 100%. And yeah. Hey, yeah, I love the saying, beware the man with only one gun. <laughs> and I've been trashed, and I've heard people trash that. But you know what? I'm sorry. There is just a lot of truth to that. Be yeah. very, be very aware uh, and be weary and, and be cautious of the person that has invested most of their time in that one gun because they're going to get pretty darn good. Yeah. And, and way less thought involved. I bit into the myth of rotating carry guns. What a disaster that was for me for about two or three years. I I just simply could not get good with any of them. Yeah. It, the exception for me is I go back and forth between the Glock 26 and a J-frame revolver. You do? Yeah. Well, now, how do you find that transition to work out for you? It, all The only way that I have been able to figure out how to explain it is it is a completely different skill set. There are aspects that carry over, but my grip is different. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I cross over my thumb. I, I started doing thumbs down because that would be a consistent technique and ended up realizing that I just – I approach each gun differently. And okay. I, so, Mike, this is a – this is a, you just sparked another question real quick before I let you go. So how do you train your brain that when – when there's trouble, when the jig goes up, when you got to get that gun out to defend your life, how are you going to tell your brain, do you have the Glock 26 in your hand or do you have your J-frame in your hand? The the way that I have done it, that and I suggest this, I don't have a, a large body of evidence to say this is definitely the way to do it. Uh, but I carry my Glock on my strong side hip. I carry my J-frame appendix. Ah, okay. And ah. I do not carry the J-frame 
on my strong side hip. I do not carry my Glock appendix. Well, there you go. That's good. So based on where you've got the gun, that tells your mind which one you, you're you're pulling out. Yeah. Very good. I like that. So there's um. Yeah, that is definitely not a not a set in stone thing. I I know people who they seem to be able to switch between guns regardless of position. I cannot. And but I can't do you it. You start adding speed and stress to the situation, and the fumbling. Yeah. I can't do it. I have to stick with striker-fired semi-automatic guns. I tried. I bought a J-frame. It was four or five years ago. I bought a nice one. I bought a nice um, uh, Smith & Wesson 642 Performance Center with a really nice action and everything. And uh, and I practiced and tried to switch back and forth. I just can't do it. i got to have one or the other. I either have to have a, a striker-fired on me or i got to have revolvers only. That's just the way it is for me. Mm-hmm. But that's good. That's good that you can make that transition. I know some people that, like I said, they'll, oh, for two days I'm going to carry a Glock, and for two days I'm going to carry a double-action Beretta, and another three or four days I'm going to carry my 1911. And Okay, this week I think I'm going to carry my revolver. To me, that if I try that, that messes me up. Yeah. There's just no... I mean, but I like your I like your technique of carrying it in a different position always, and that tells your mind what you're what you're using. Good. Talk about your websites. Yep. Talk about your websites, please, and your training. All right. Yeah, I, I want to encourage people to head over to RealWorldGunfightTraining.com, and I've got a, a couple of things there. I've got my um, my new book, which was a, a bestseller on Amazon, uh, called Real World Gunfight Training. And you can pick it up for free if you help with shipping. And up at the top, uh, there's a, a link where you can download the summary and check it out and see if it's a fit for you. And it goes through some of the, the stuff. The summary goes through. The book goes through all of the, the stuff behind uh, how to add context to your training, uh, how to add accelerated learning techniques to your training, uh, how to um, – get better vision balance and hand-eye coordination and how to build everything on that and how to combine everything together to make a, a, a training plan that will get a lot more done in a lot less time. I will and link to that book for you in my show notes as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, we're at a time where it doesn't look like we have a ton of time to get ready. We don't. We don't. And what is your other website? Gunfight training cards? Uh, Gun dry training. fire training cards. Dry, dry fire training cards. So what is that? Tell people what that is. So dry fire training cards is a collection. It's uh, 50 dry fire drills, and and they're on playing cards. And there are fundamentals drills. There's advanced drills. There's movement drills and low light drills. And... Uh, one of the big reasons for it, and there are two big things actually. Uh, one is variety keeps training fun, which keeps the brain engaged, helps you learn faster, and helps you train more often or want to train more often. Excellent. And the other thing is with the cards, uh, a lot of people will draw out, shuffle and draw out three or four cards, and that's what they'll practice for the day. And what it does is it keeps people from getting into a rut. And it kind of forces them to do the things that they may not be good at and wouldn't do otherwise. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to focus on your weaknesses all the time, but you do want to spend some time on them occasionally so that they're not as weak. I'm going to link to both of those websites, give you some advertising and things. And, you know, you've generously donated your time, Mike, and I appreciate that very well. So, I want people to check out your stuff, and I'm going to call you back shortly, and we're going to talk about what I have been wanting to talk about really bad with you, and that is sighted versus unsighted uh, shooting, because I think that's a big deal. Yes, it is. I think it's a big deal. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Bob. All right. Have a good time. 
Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you donating your time. Again, check out both of his websites, realworldgunfighttraining.com and dryfiretrainingcards.com. And there'll be links in the show notes if you need to use those. Just a reminder that part two, where Mike and I talk about sighted fire versus unsighted fire, or also called point shooting, that's coming up in about three days after this releases. It's coming up on the Patreon page, the Handgun World Patreon page, and Shooters Club members are also going to have it on that website as well. That website's Shooters Club members. Dot com shootersclubmembers.com you can support myself and ben branham both of our podcasts for only eight dollars a month and get an absolute ton of online training eight bucks a month 75 dollars a year and for as little as three dollars a month you can listen to the second half of the interview that mike and i did on the handgun world patreon page and you can check that out in the show notes as well, patreon.com slash handgunworld. Also remember, a lot of the products that I use can be found on my Amazon page, and you can use any of those product links to either purchase those or do your other shopping on Amazon. If you have other shopping, just click one of the product links. You don't have to buy that product, but if you do that, it helps support my show as well. Thank you. So that's it for this week. Be safe, everybody. Remember, shoot straight, shoot safe. Read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Good.